Thanks for joining us this week for the Church at Starkey Hills podcast. Be sure to visit our website at starkey.church to find all the latest information and upcoming events. Awesome. Amen. Morning, church. I'm excited to be back inside right now. Um, They told me how hot the first one was, and I was like looking at the weather, and it's 71, 72, and I thought it's not going to be that bad out here. And I've got way more respect for what Joel's been doing now because my face was drenched in sweat about five minutes in. And uh, my, my, uh, my shirt's dry now, but Kelsey told me I should have brought another one. I should have. <laughs> it, is, it is hot out there. But, so I'm glad to be back inside now. Glad to be back inside. And uh, the last time that, that I preached inside was, I think it was the last Sunday before we, we went outside like and, and uh, were not in here for a few months. And uh, when I preached that time, I kind of cracked a joke about how I wasn't ready for a kid, so I better be careful what I say I'm not ready for today. If you've seen Kelsey, we're about a month and a half out from having our first. So um, I've got a message that's on my heart, a message that um, I've been talking through in segments to the youth over the the past couple of weeks. And um, that message is about what's foundational, what's foundational in our lives. So the title of today's message is Foundational, and um, if you've been here and it's like a week or two before you come back and you see the progress going on, the building out there, it's really cool to see. It's really cool to see see what's being done out there, but first the foundation had to be laid, and and I'm not going to get too much into construction stuff about foundation because I don't want to embarrass myself. I'm married into a family where my father-in-law can basically build anything, and uh, I get really mad after about five minutes of trying to put a crib together. So uh, I know that's, that's some of you guys too, so I won't talk too much about that. But what I will talk about is our spiritual foundation today. So the passage that we're going to be in, looking at at least through the first point today, and, and we'll be referencing back to is a popular passage, and that's um, Matthew seven twenty four through 27. Kelsey, I should have swallowed that mint that you gave me before I came up here. It'll be gone soon, guys. So Matthew 7, 24 through 27. So there's a kid's song about this passage. It's a, it's a popular passage. We use it in Bible school. And um, talks about rains coming down and floods coming up. So it's really, it's really popular to do the hand motions and everything with the kids. But the context of this passage is that Jesus has just preached what maybe is the greatest sermon, arguably, probably, of all time, the Sermon on the Mount. And so the context of this is Jesus has just given us a ton of stuff to live by. He's delivered a sermon about how we should care for the poor. He's, he's given a sermon about when we face anxiety, how we treat that. He's given us a sermon about loving others on how to pray on fasting. He's talked about adultery and murder being sins that that stem from our heart. He's talked about a narrow gate to enter through and that wide is the gate. Wide is the way that leads to destruction. It's broad. And he's talked about the fruit that believers display. So he's talked about all this and then he concludes it right here in Matthew 7, 24 through 27. It says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice 
is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. The message I have today is a challenging message. It's a convicting message for me, and I think it's a message that needs to be said, though. And the first point today is an unshakable foundation, an unshakable foundation. And there's three truths that I want you to notice underneath this unshakable foundation, three truths. And the first one is that you have to put God's words into practice. You have to put his words into practice. It says in 24 and 26 of this verse, remember the words that Jesus said, the stuff, the context of the Sermon on the Mount, all the things that he said in 24. It doesn't say everyone who hears these words. It doesn't say everyone who loosely believes these words, everyone who maybe applies them every once in a while to their lives. It says everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like the man who built his house on the rock. And then in 26, it says everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice. James 1.22 says, do not merely listen to the word, so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. And I'm not talking about a work salvation. We're saved by grace through faith alone in Christ. I said it this way to the kids at the park a couple of weeks ago. I said, obedience does not save, but the saved obey. And that's because obedience is a product of our salvation. The saved person is obedient doesn't mean you're going to be perfect 100% of the time, but we're striving for that, right? We're, we're working to make adjustments in our lives so that we can follow Christ. Henry Blackaby, if, if some of y'all have done his studies, Experiencing God, it's one of the, um, the, the greatest selling you know, Christian studies um, in, in, in the past few decades. He has a quote that says, many of us want God to speak to us and give us an assignment that's true, right? We want to hear what God has for our lives. We want him to give us an assignment. But the next part of this quote is critical. He says, however, we are not interested in making any major adjustments in our lives. Biblically, that is impossible. You can't stay where you're at and follow God, go with God at the same time. You can't stay where you're at and surrender to a life of obedience. It requires major adjustments. We see this with anyone in Scripture that comes to Christ. Even Jesus made major adjustments. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. It says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. For your sake he became poor. So that you, by his poverty, might become rich. How awesome is that? There's a story in Scripture about a, um, a rich young ruler, popular story. You guys know the story. There's a guy that comes to Jesus. He wants to know how he can inherit eternal life. He comes and he calls him good teacher, and Jesus, although he is good, responds back. There's no one good but God. Ironically, Jesus is God. But he's making the point, he's making the point to this teacher, uh, uh, to this rich young ruler that comes to him that no one's good. He's, he's trying to get him to get his mind turned around that it's not going to be by what he can do. It's not going to be by his goodness because he's never going to be good enough that he can enter the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus says to him, you, you know the commandments. So he tries to challenge him. You know, you've, you've kept the commandments, right? He starts going through a couple. The rich young ruler says, yeah, I've kept them all for my youth. Jesus says to him, well, there, there's one thing you lack. 
sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and come and follow me. Gives him one more thing to do. One more thing to do. And the reason Jesus did this is because he knew that the man's heart, he knew the man's heart was not with God, but it was with his stuff. He loved something more than he loved God. And he's pointing this out in his life. And, and I know that God is not calling every single believer to go live on the streets and be homeless, right? I understand that. But what if, what if your commandment was to sell everything you have and give to the poor and come and follow me? How many of us could do it? How many of us could do it? What if that was a thing Jesus came in front of you and said to do? So maybe it's not that, but maybe it's something else that he's asking you to adjust in your life so you can follow him in obedience. On, on Monday night, I was, um, I was down under the bridge. Some of us, just a couple of us are still going down there doing 11B. If you don't know what that is, that's a, a ministry that we have where we, um, we, we feed the homeless people every single week that are downtown, and, and I get out of the car, I walk across the street, and um, a guy comes up to me, early 20s, and uh, tries to sell me some drugs. He has his, he has them in his pocket like this, starts pulling them out, get, get you something, yeah, he's talking like that under his breath. I said, no, man, I'm, I'm just down here to, to hang out, to serve food, and to share the gospel with people. He puts it, puts it back in his pocket like this and says, you know, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. I got saved when I was seven. I, I've just backslid. I think it's easy for us to look at someone like that, to look at that person that's down there, and that's something we've never struggled with, maybe. You know, we've, maybe you've never had addiction, that kind of addiction in your life. Maybe you have. Maybe you've never been to the point where you're homeless and you're selling drugs. But is there something that someone could look at you, at your life, the way that, I could look at that guy in his life and say, man, he's probably not a Christian. Like, seven years old, no sanctification in your life, nothing. You're just telling me you backslid. Let's have a conversation about what repentance looks like and stuff, right? Maybe he is. Maybe he has really backslid. Maybe he is really a believer. But is there something in your life that someone can look at and say, man, I don't know. That person says they're a Christian? That person's a believer? I just don't see it. Maybe it doesn't appear as bad as, as what I just described on the surface. Maybe the world would look at you and think that you're morally superior. You've got a good family. You've got things together. But you've never really devoted yourself fully to Christ. He, he's not really the foundation. You haven't put the words into practice. Maybe it's greed. Maybe it's, maybe it's something like that that holds you back. Maybe it's, it's idolatry even of your own family. Maybe there's something that you love more than God, and that's just your own family. It doesn't look bad on the surface, but it's something that you choose over God. Maybe it's your own plans, your time. Maybe it's your possessions, like the rich young ruler. L lately, a thing that it is, and you see it on a Snapchat filter and stuff with kids, and it's, uh, it, it says, stay safe. Everybody is saying, stay safe. Maybe it's your safety and security. I'm not going to get too political, but in 2 Timothy 1.7, it's a, a, a scripture that's quoted kind of during this COVID time by both sides. And one side says, God didn't give us a spirit of fear. 
And then the other side says like, yeah, but he gave you a spirit of a sound mind, so you need to be wise at this time. You need to be wise. And so you got these two people fighting back and forth. Church, I'm just here to say that there's a place between reckless and scared that you can live during this time. There's a place between reckless and scared that you can live. You don't have to be fearful. You don't have to be reckless. In Proverbs 9.10, there's a verse there's a verse, and uh, it's a verse that's, that's really popular, but uh, I, I don't see a lot of us really living it out, myself included. It says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. How would our city, our state, our country, the world look different if that was the verse that, that people really put into practice, if people really feared God first and foremost. I see in 2020 fear of a lot of stuff, but from my vantage point, it doesn't seem like that the fear of God is really high on that list. Guys, God's not surprised by anything that's happening. He is sovereign over it all. But maybe he's using this time to separate the wheat from the chaff. There was a study maybe some of you saw put out. I saw it floating around Facebook and stuff that Barna put out. Um, and, and this is a study or a, a poll to um, people that said their Christian faith was very important to them. They're regular church attendees, and they say that their, their faith is very important to them. So this study's trying to get the people that really say they practice the Christian faith. Of those people, 35% say that they are attending either online, a drive-in service, maybe going to service now again, the church that they were going to when all this stuff kind of started. 14%, so now we're at about half of them, have said that they have just switched to a different church. And then we've got 18% that say, like, yeah, I watch stuff online, I just view multiple through the week. So that leaves a third of people that say their faith is very important to them that aren't watching anything online, aren't going, no time in community, nothing, since all this stuff has started. A third of them. Guys, there's a place between reckless and scared that we can live. There's still ministry to be done, and the light of Christ shines the brightest in the darkest places. And there's still one God who's sovereign over it all. Luke 6.46 says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I say? We have to put God's words into practice, and to put them into practice, to follow in obedience, we have to be willing to make major adjustments in our life. We can't just put God in a box and say, I'll do anything in this box, but I'm not going to get outside of it. That's not what it looks like to follow Jesus. The second truth that I want to point out on that is that there is one rock. There is one rock. Ephesians 2, 19 through 21 It says, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. That's awesome. You're not a stranger. You're not separated from God anymore. You've received his grace. You are a child. You are a member of his family. And let's look at what this is built on. It says, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone and whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. So the words that the apostles and the prophets, they've been given, the word, that is the foundation, and Jesus is the foundation stone. Without him, it crumbles. Cornerstone or a foundation stone, it's the first stone that's set in construction of masonry foundation, and all the other stones are set in reference to that, determining what the, the whole structure is going to be. 
Guys, there is one rock, and that one rock, that one cornerstone, it's Jesus. The word of God became flesh. So if, that, if there's one rock, one rock, what's that mean? It means that everything else is not the rock, so everything else must be the sand. If Jesus is the rock, then building your life on anything else must look like building your life on the sand. That could be success in a career, a child's success in athletics or in school. That could be the stuff that you accumulate. That could be relationship that you have. And we'll talk about why those things crumble when they're really tested. It might not be in this life that they crumble, but that is the sand. I hear that scripture when I'm a kid and stuff, and I think like, okay, here's the distinction. The rock, that's someone that says, I believe in God. The sand, that's someone that says, I don't believe in God. Let's, let's take that elementary thought a little bit further. The rock is someone who has built everything else on Christ, and the sand is someone who has not. The sand might look like someone that maybe they have some Jesus in their life, but maybe he's a puzzle piece. They have a puzzle. We've got our school here. We've got our friends here. We've got our other friends over here. We've got our vacations here. Jesus, he fits in right here. Not all that other stuff built on Jesus the rock. We sing the song, Build My Life, here a lot. It's an awesome song. You guys know that song. But are we practicing it? I'm not saying that Jesus is not important in our lives. I'm talking to myself here, too. But is he the foundation, or is he, is he just a puzzle piece? So I want to ask some questions, some questions, how you can tell if Christ, if God's word is foundational in your lives and in your family's lives, just ask this to yourself. Think about it, Okay. Is it easy for you to go a few days, to go a week maybe, and not spend any meaningful time in the Word? Can you do that and it doesn't really have any impact on your life? Can you spend a couple of days without any meaningful time in prayer, quiet time with God? Is that, there's no conviction for that? Think about that. What about during lockdown? I know that during quarantine stuff, um, there's all kinds of things that we're missing, right? I mean, I love sports. I, I really hope we get to have a college football season. Everybody that knows me knows that. I really hope that. <laughs> I want to watch that. But, but like, when, when lockdown and stuff was going on, what, what was most important to you? To be able to go sit at a restaurant? To, to take a vacation? I mean, a lot of people getting stir crazy. You want to just take a trip? And a lot of people did. I did. But, but what about the church? What about being plugged in in the church? Where was that on your priorities, on your list? Was it somewhere down towards the bottom, maybe in the middle? What about if you move to a new com community? It has nothing to do with, with COVID or anything. When you move to a new community, what's the most important thing? Finding a good school system, you know, to get your kids in, your career, everything like that. Where does finding a place to get your children plugged in spiritually fall on that list? Where, just where does it fall on that list? Just think that to yourself, okay? Because all of it's making an impact, but one of the things makes an impact eternally. So I was talking to my dad about a week, week and a half ago, and um, he told me a verse when I was a kid, Matthew 6, and a lot of you guys know that verse too. A lot of the verses I'm saying today are popular verses, but it, it says in that verse to, to seek 
first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And I could say it. I remember going to basketball games and stuff, riding in the car when I was like a real little kid, like six, seven years old. And he'd say, all right, what's most important? And I'd say, keep God first. Like I knew that. I knew to, I knew to say it. And then as I got older, though, my life didn't really appear like that. I had God and going to church and stuff one, once a week, maybe. In the, the, you know, it was a puzzle piece that was placed in there. But it, and my dad was was trying to give me a foundation, but I was drifting. I was drifting. And so he said something to me when we were on the phone the other day. It was kind of surprising to me. And what he said to me was, if I could do it over again, I wouldn't let you and your brother play AU basketball on Sundays. I wouldn't let you play basketball on Sundays when you're kids. And we did a lot. We played a lot of AAU and you know, me and my brother both got college scholarships. Neither one of us had to pay for any school. So it seems like, you know, maybe it was worth it. Maybe there was something in that. And I don't think my dad's saying that is an end-all, be-all. I don't think that it was some kind of legalism coming from him. I know where his heart's at, but I know what he's thinking when he said that. And what he's thinking, based on the rest of the conversation we were having, is that he just recognizes that he was sending a message to us that that was more important than being with other believers and spending time in worship and going to church. So he said, you know, I wouldn't let you do that if I had to do it over again. My dad doesn't say stuff like that very often, so I was kind of surprised that he said that. I remember when I got into high school, so my success started to be built on athletics, athletic success, like that was my foundation. And so I got into high school, I remember that I had a friend ask me, invited me to come to youth group with him on a Wednesday night, and I laughed at him because I thought I was cooler than that because I played sports. Man, I got stuff to do on Wednesday night. I got workouts, I got this, I got that. That's a true story. I laughed at him. I made fun of him that he even asked me because I thought, man, he's not as cool as me. He doesn't, you know, he's not on a basketball team. So why is it so important Because of the third truth, and the third truth is the storms in life will come. The storms in life will come. We see it in verse 25. It says, the rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because the foundation was on the rock. And then we see the contrast of that in verse 27. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. John 16, 33, it says, In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. So the storms will come. Will you be able to stand when they do? It might not be now. It might not be a year from now. It might not be a decade from now. But it will come. And you might see this in the lives of people that you know. Maybe a parent. Maybe a grandparent. Maybe it's in your own life. People that have built their lives on God and his word. They have these storms come. And maybe they don't love it when it does. Maybe they hate it. Maybe it it gives them great grief. But they still choose to trust in God in the middle of it. And then you see other people, they face this trouble and they they find other ways to cope with it. They cope differently. They might get stressed about it, you know, and that stress leads to more social media, more news, turning on the TV more, getting in arguments with more people, and you end up more anxious than you were before you even started having the conversation, end up more upset than, than you were before you even started having the conversation with somebody. Look, Jesus is the rock, and when the storms come, if your blueprint is something else, then it's a blueprint on how to destroy a life. 
the world is changing. The world, the world's changing all the time. Something, you know, what was popular, what was cool 10 years ago, what was acceptable is different now than it was then. It'll be the same thing a decade from now. James 4.4 says, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. If your worldview, if your coping mechanism, if the way that you view everything, and we're going to talk about that here in the next point, the way that you view everything is the same as everyone around you, the same as the non-believers on social media. If you're viewing everything just like them, then there's something wrong. Because Jesus, if you have Jesus as the rock, it's a different. Jesus is the only constant. Matthew eleven twenty eight. he said, come to me. Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. And that leads to the second point today, and that's unchangeable truth. We've got an unshakable foundation and unchangeable truth. And there's an enemy out there that wants destruction, and it wants people to try and mesh the secular worldview with this biblical worldview, and it wants people to accept more and more of what the world says, of what other belief systems say. And they don't mesh. And the kids are being taught a secular worldview from a young age. It's, maybe that's starting to become part of the puzzle piece. And then they get to college, and it's like they don't know which way's up, down, left, right. And they're hearing some good things from over here. Yeah, give me some more of that. But they still want some church. They hear some good things from over here. Give me some more of that. And they're not sure which way to go. So why it's so important that we instill a biblical worldview from a young age, there's two verses that kind of talk about this. Colossians 2.8 says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition. According to philosophy and empty deceit, excuse me, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. And then Ephesians 4.14 says, So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. So I want to look at some unchangeable truths right now. I'm going to go through them pretty fast. I just want to look at some unchangeable truths. The first one is that God, God's infallible word is the Bible. The Bible's God's infallible word. If you can't get to this place, then it's going to be really hard to accept the other truths that I'm going to tell you because it's going to be easy for you to pick and choose which one you like. Matthew 5:18 it says for truly I say to you until heaven and earth pass away not an iota not a dot will pass from the law until it's all accomplished. 2 Timothy 3:16 says all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and training in righteousness. So there's a lot of truths in God's word. There's, there's truths about God, like God is eternally existing in three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. There's truths about salvation that despite what the world might say, that Jesus is the only way to the Father. Joel said that last week, popular verse, John 14, 6, he's the only way in spite of what the world might say. Here's another one. We're all, we're all sinners. We're all separated from God. We're born into sin. We are deserving of God's wrath and eternal judgment. That's something that a secular worldview really contradicts, right? Secular worldview says that, that we're all pretty good. We're all good people. Systems have messed things up. People, you know, people have got together. They're greedy and stuff, but most people are pretty good, and, and, and they've made things wicked. Whereas God's word says that we all, every single one of us, are deserving of wrath. We're born into sin, Another one, heaven and hell are real. If you didn't watch the last four weeks, Joel, Joel did a sermon series on heaven and hell. I encourage you to go watch that. 
Next one is, you must be born again to see heaven. Jesus tells Nicodemus that if you're not born again, you can't see the kingdom of heaven. It's talking about spiritual rebirth. So how's that happen? We find that in Ephesians 2. It says it's by a gift called grace. It's by grace, and you receive that gift through faith that that's how you're saved. Here's some other ones maybe that people might fight back against now. Some relevant things, some other truths in Scripture. How about, the, how about marriage? Marriage between a man and a woman and the only sexual activity that is permissible is within that realm of relationship. Because God created marriage because Jesus, Jesus and the church are a picture of that. The church is the bride of Christ. It's a picture of biblical marriage. God instituted that. The nuclear family, that's something that God has instituted. He tells children to obey your parents and husbands to love your wives as Christ loved the church, giving his life for the church and wives to submit to husbands. And these are things that the world looks at now, and it's not popular. Guys, listen, if your worldview looks like the world around you, then you might be popular, but it's probably not going to be biblical in 2020. Genesis 1.27, we find out that God created this male and female in his image. It says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So why is every life important to God? We're created in his image. We're not like animals. That's different from a secular worldview. Why is the abortion issue, why is the life issue so important? Should it be so important? Doesn't seem like it is to a lot of people anymore. The thousands of babies are killed every single day. But, but why should that be so important? Because God has created them in his image. Why, why should we not treat people differently based on their race, ethnicity, based on, here's another thing, if they have a lot or they have a little? Because God doesn't show partiality in judgment. These are biblical truths. Here's another one. You can't have two masters. Matthew 6, 24 says, No one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You, can't, you cannot serve both God and money. So you can't have kind of a master over here in this cookie jar and then kind of one over here in this cookie jar. You have to serve one. You're going to serve one. So instilling a biblical worldview, it's foundational. It's foundational to standing on the rock when the world is throwing everything else at you. Because as Christians, you're, you're swimming upstream, guys. You're swimming upstream. And there's not a place for drifting in the faith because when you do, that's when you start trying to mesh everything, put it together, come up with your own thing of what you think is right. Another unchangeable truth in Scripture, and Joel talked a little bit about this last week, and it's going to lead to my final point, but another unchangeable truth in Scripture is that eternal rewards await those who are obedient with the work that God has prepared for them to do. And that final point is unmistakable followers. People shouldn't be guessing whether you backslid or you're drifting. Be a follower. You, you read about guys in Scripture, you know that they were following Jesus. You know, that the, you know the ones that were followers, that were believers, and the ones who weren't. They weren't perfect. But they were making the adjustments in their life to follow Matthew 7, 16. Remember, we looked at Matthew 7, 24 through 27. So a few verses before that, we find out that we're known by our fruit. John 14, 21, it tells us who the person is that really loves Jesus. It says, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he is the one who loves me. And then we're told about the work that we've been 
um, that's been prepared for us to do in Ephesians 2.10. It says, We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Paul talks about this in, in 1 Corinthians 3. Joel talked about it a little bit last week. Um, but he, he talks about that he's a skilled master builder. And he's built on this foundation. And the foundation, the rock, is Jesus. And so Paul has built on this foundation. And he tells us to be careful. Be careful, he says, about how you build on it. He says you can't lay on another foundation besides Jesus. So for us... If someone's saying something that goes against Scripture, that's something we can't, you know, we, we can't receive that. We can't receive that as truth. It's not something that we can build around. Okay, so I'm going to pick up in 1 Corinthians 3, 12 through 15. There's a little passage here about eternal rewards. Verse 12, it says, Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it. Because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. 14. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Notice again in 13, it says, The day will disclose it. The day will disclose it. It's talking about an inspection. If you go to build a ha or if you go to buy a house and the inspector comes and says, "Hey, there's something that you know it's kind of off with the foundation of this house." That's a huge red flag. You're probably not going to want to keep looking at that house, right? So it says that the day will disclose it. It's talking about an inspection that God's going to examine each one of us based on what we've built, what we've built that's laid on the foundation that was set before us, what we've done to contribute to the body of Christ in our lifetimes, those who are believers, those who are in Christ. I used to hear that and think that I'm like somehow being humble by saying like, oh, well, I, don't need, I don't need a lot of rewards in heaven. You know, this is for believers as long as I get to go to heaven, right? Guys, that's a sign of unrepentance. That's what it was. It was a sign of unrepentance of me trying to do whatever I wanted to do. I wrote this here. I don't want to mess it up, so I'm going to read it. I put, if your question about being saved is how can I live the way I want to live and still go to heaven, then you're asking the wrong question. In fact, if that's your question, you probably haven't been saved or at the very least you don't understand what it means to be a follower of Jesus. You haven't been able to grasp lordship. He owns you guys. He owns you. You can't say no, Lord, that doesn't make sense for a Christian. It's a contradiction. It just doesn't make sense. So born-again believers, I'm going to challenge you a little bit, and I'm, I'm going to leave you with something. I'm going to leave you with something that hopefully is encouraging. We all play a role in building on this foundation, and the work that you're doing right now matters. And it matters for eternity. It matters for eternity. Romans 12.5 says, So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. So first... First, I said I'm going to say something encouraging. This part ain't it. It's coming, though. <laughs> it's coming. Okay, so first, stop making excuses. Stop making excuses. When young people, you're in high school, you're in college, you're thinking about, like, I got to get through school, got to get this job, got to marry this person, got to have this kind of career, and then I can focus more on that. Then I'll focus more on that. And then, and then we get in our 30s and our 40s, and I mentioned that I'm about to have, have my first child, a son, and and 
we think like take care of my kids, you know, get them through school, and then then maybe maybe once they're gone out of here, maybe I'll maybe we'll we'll go on a mission trip or something. Maybe we'll do this. Maybe we'll do that. You know, my kids have lots of other things to do. You know, I, I want them to grow up and know Christ, but like. There's a lot of stuff going on, a lot of stuff going on. And then getting in your 50s and 60s and you start focusing on, like, I don't want to work forever. I need to retire. You focus on retirement. I've got that coming up. And we spend our lives living as if this is it. We spend our lives living as if this is it. And Joel, he talked about heaven and hell. He talked about heaven and hell and eternity for, for a few weeks and we hear that and say amen to it, amen. But then we live our lives like not amen, like, like this is it, this is our lives. So this is challenging, guys. When was the great commandment, when was the great commission ever centered around our well-being and our security? That flies in the face of everything that the American dream meshed with this Christianity, meshed with this nominal stuff, teaches. When was it ever about your security? It was always about God's glory, always about his glory. God has called all believers to be involved in the Great Commission, to be involved in his work. If you have received that message of reconciliation, you have been called to take that message to others, whether it's your neighbor, someone overseas, your cousin, somebody. Not just the pastor, not just the teacher. You've been called into that message to take that message of reconciliation. Guys, this work, it builds the church and it changes eternity. So here's the four things. Here's the four things that I'm going to leave you with. The first one is to just look for patterns in your life. Look for patterns in your life where God has used you to serve, maybe where he's continuing to use you to serve. And, and continue in that. Just continue to find ways to serve others. You know, more stuff is opening up. We, we hear about the new normal and stuff all the time. We don't know what really is going to happen. But, but find ways to be involved. Find ways to serve. Do something. Do something to help contribute to the growing of this, this kingdom. Second is be faithful. Just be faithful in your time. Be faithful in... Be faithful in your gifts that you've been given. If you're a believer, you've been given gifts. Use them for kingdom growth. And be faithful with your money. We're building a new church out here. Be faithful in supporting that. The, the church is being built around the world. Be faithful in supporting that and giving yourself to that. The third one, which is really the first one, with the, which is what the whole message was about, is building our foundation on Christ. Make sure you're building on the right foundation. Make sure the stuff that you're doing is on the right foundation. And then number four, encourage one another on toward love and good deeds. If you see somebody doing something in the church and you don't really like the way they're doing it, you're not sure about why they're doing it that way, don't stand off and just talk about them with other people in the church that aren't doing anything. Find, a find ways to get involved. Find ways to get involved and encourage each other on to do more, to make things better, to create change for service opportunities, to share God's love, to share God's word with others. 
Those who haven't been born again, maybe you're not sure, maybe you don't know. You can't build on the foundation if you don't first have the rock. Can't build on it if you don't have the rock first, if you don't have Jesus first. John 17, 3 says, This is eternal life. They know you, God, and the one you sent. They know Jesus. He says, This is eternal life, that you know me. So there's a calling on your life that's so much bigger than anything that this world can offer. So much bigger than anything that this world can offer. And that calling is to be reconciled to your maker through Jesus and what he did on Calvary. If you could, just close your eyes, bow your head. Guys, there is a God who loves you, who sent his son to die a brutal death on the cross. He is a just God and he is a good God. Maybe you're not sure today if you've ever made that God the rock of your life. If that's the foundation, maybe he's just a puzzle piece. Maybe it's just something that you kind of spend some time dabbling in here and there, but you spend time dabbling over here and other things. Maybe it's just a puzzle piece. Maybe none of it makes sense to you. But if it doesn't, it's okay because God is calling you into an eternal relationship with him, the creator and sustainer of all things. The Bible says that God shows his love for us, that while we were dead in our sins, that Christ died for us, not because we did something good to earn it, but he died for us while we chose to sin against him. We can receive that gift, that gift of grace through faith, If you've you've never done that, you think that this is your day, if you feel a tug on your heart, you can pray something like this. God, I acknowledge today that I am a sinner. I believe what your word says, that, that I've sinned and I've fallen short of your glory. And I believe what you say about my sin And I acknowledge that I am wrong and that you were right. And today, Lord Jesus, I place my faith in you. I place my faith in what you've done, in the perfect life that you lived that I couldn't live, in the death that you died that I deserved. I believe in every single bit of it and I trust in you for eternal life. Lord God, I pray that you would just give me your Holy Spirit. That your Holy Spirit would just fill me. That it would make make me a new person. That you would lead me to those around me to share this message, Lord, that I now believe. I pray, Lord God, that today would be my day of salvation. Pray, Lord God, that I would follow you. Lead me, God. Use me for your work.
And maybe you've been drifting. Maybe you're, you're like the guy under the bridge. I said, I don't know. Maybe he was saved. I don't know. Maybe he wasn't. Maybe, maybe the world would look at that and say that you're morally superior to that person. That you're, you're a pretty good person and that person's probably not a pretty good person. But maybe Jesus has never really been the rock in your life and, and maybe that's kind of been revealed to you today in your life and your family's life. That's okay too. Repent of that today. Because there's work to be done. And there's a place where God wants to use you in his kingdom agenda. But you have to be willing to make the necessary adjustments to follow in obedience. Lord God, I praise you this morning. I thank you, Lord, for this church. I thank you, God, that we're able to meet together. I thank you, Lord God, for your holy, eternal, and perfect word. I thank you, Jesus, that you have given us everything that we need to have abundant life now. Not life like the world says is abundant, but life abundant in you and eternal life with you one day, Jesus. I praise you, God. Lord God, I pray that if there's one here that doesn't know you, that today, Lord, they would come to a place, Lord, where they just lay it all down, where you save them, God. Lord God, I pray that you would just be with this church as we navigate these different times. I pray, God, that you would just be with everything that's going on outside with the new building. I pray, God, for your hand of protection. Lord God, we praise you. We glorify you. Thank you, Jesus, for all that you've done for us. You've done it all, Lord. Love you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope that God spoke to you through this message. If you enjoyed the message, be sure to subscribe to our weekly podcast and visit our website at sturkey.church to find all the latest information and upcoming events. Be sure to join us again next week. Until then, may God bless you.